This installment of Bach on Wednesday was recorded for release on September 15th, 2021. Greetings. This is Jerry Noldow. And today we will focus on compositions by Johann Sebastian Bach that confront farewell and mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G not M-O-R-N-I-N-G I do this because this past Saturday we marked the 20th anniversary of that cowardly insidious and scurrilous attack on the United States of America that was perpetrated by a group of extremist terrorists from the Near East. You will note I am careful not to implicate a particular religion because, essentially, Religion had little to do with it. Oh, I am confident that many of these terrorists, if not all of them, considered it a jihad and that they were going to be rewarded in the next world. But essentially, it was flat-out terrorism. Thousands of innocent people have died as a result of it. Some in the event itself, including six individuals whom I knew, and myriad individuals in the aftermath. First responders, residents of that part of Lower Manhattan, who were compelled to inhale the noxious fumes that resulted from that horrific attack. It is in their memory and in their honor that I present this installment of Bach on Thursday. But before I begin it, I also must, and I use the word deliberately, must, because I have done this for many years on my broadcasts nearest to Yom Kippur. And today, September 15th, 2021, is Erev Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement begins at sundown tonight. That I do this was first suggested many years ago by a loyal listener. And that listener requested a specific recording, which I was delighted, if I may use that word, in the context, honored, if you will, to play namely 
Pablo Casals's second recording of the Kol Nidrei of Max Bruch. This recording was made in the number one studio at Abbey Road in London, England, on October 27, 1936. The London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Sir Landon Ronald. Pablo Casals, Cello. Kol Nidrei, Opus 47, by Max Bruch. May we each be sealed in the Book of Life.
for Yom Kippur. Max Bruch, Kol Nidrei, Opus 47. Pablo Casals, Cello. The London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Sir Landon Ronald. A recording made in the number one studio at Abbey Road in London, England, on October 27th, 1936. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. May we each be sealed in the Book of Life. Now, on Bach on Wednesday, for September 15th, 2021, let us, in memory of all of those who died as a result of the insidious, scurrilous, cowardly attack on the United States of America that took place on September 11th, 2001, focus on compositions by Johann Sebastian Bach that confront farewell, death, and mourning the dead. One of Johann Sebastian Bach's earliest surviving compositions is the Capriccio Sopra la Lontananza de Il Fratro Dilettissimo. To quote his very bad Italian, the Capriccio on the departure of the beloved brother. The Capriccio in B-flat major, BWV 992. Bach apparently composed this when he was 19 years old, 1704. It is often suggested that it was a piece marking the departure for Sweden of his next older brother, Johann Jakob, who was an oboist, who joined the, if you will, marching ensemble of the King of Sweden. Johann Jakob remained in the service of the Swedish royal house until his early death at the age of 40 in 1722. In this performance, the marvelous German keyboard player, organist, harpsichordist, Felix Friedrich, plays a harpsichord that was made in Turingen around 1715. This is precisely the kind of instrument on which the 19-year-old Johann Sebastian Bach would have played this piece.
Johann Sebastian Bach The Capriccio Sopra la Lontananza dei Il Fratro Dilettissimo The Capriccio on the Departure of the Beloved Brother The Capriccio in B-flat BWV 992 Written when Bach was 19 We should all be such geniuses. That performance was recorded on a harpsichord made by an anonymous builder in Turingen, the part of Germany from which Bach came and in which he was still living at the time that he composed the Capriccio on the departure of the beloved brother. And the original Italian title tells you that Bach's Italian was not the best. The performer, Felix Friedrich. The instrument, which dates, as I said, from around 1715, now is in the collection of the Bachhaus Museum in Eisenach, Germany. In 1707, or thereabouts, when he was 22 years of age, Johann Sebastian Bach wrote an amazing, intimate funeral cantata entitled The Actus Tragicus. Gotteszeit ist die allerbeste Zeit. God's time is the best time of all. BWV 106 It appears that this cantata was composed for the obsequies of his mother's brother, Tobias Lammerhirt, from whom he did inherit a significant amount of money, enough to be able to buy himself a magnificent two-manual harpsichord by Johann Joachim Haras, an instrument, by the way, that still exists. The Actus Tragicus clearly was composed for an intimate occasion, and the Sonatina, for example, two recorders, this was not intended for performance in a large building. In this performance, which was recorded at the American Academy of Arts and Letters in New York City in November of 1985, the vocal parts are sung, as they certainly were, at the first performance by one singer to each line. Anne Monio's soprano, Stephen Rickard's countertenor, Edmund Brownless tenor, Jan Opelach bass. The instrumental accompaniment is provided by the Bach Ensemble, whose members play on authentic instruments. The performance is conducted from the positive organ, 
by Joshua Rifkin. Johann Sebastian Bach. The funeral cantata, Gottes Zeit ist die allerbeste Zeit. The Actus Tragicus, BWV 106.
Bestelle dein Haupt. Bestelle dein Haupt, denn du wirst sterben und nicht leben, wie ich bleibe. Denn du wirst sterben, denn du wirst sterben und nicht leben, und nicht leben, wie ich bleibe. Denn du wirst sterben und nicht leben. Bestelle dein Haus.
Johann Sebastian Bach The Actus Tragicus Gottes Zeit ist die allerbeste Zeit. God's time is the best time of all. Funeral Cantata and Memorial Cantata BWV 106 Almost certainly composed as a memorial cantata for Bach's mother's brother, Tobias Lammerhirt, who died in 1707. In that performance, which was recorded at the American Academy of Arts and Letters in New York City in November of 1985, the vocalists were Anne Monios, soprano, she was two years behind me at Princeton, by the way, Stephen Rickards, countertenor, Edmund Brownless, tenor, and Jan Opelach, bass. The accompaniment was provided by members of the Bach Ensemble, playing authentic instruments, and the performance was directed from the organ by Joshua Rifkin. During his brief tenure, a year and a half or so, as organist of the Hauptkirche Divi Plazii in Mühlhausen in Thüringen, Johann Sebastian Bach was called upon to compose a memorial cantata, not a funeral cantata, but a cantata to, if you will, commemorate an incident in the city of Mühlhausen that was as devastating to that city as the scurrilous and insidious and cowardly attack on our nation was to the United States of America on September 11th, 2001. On May 30th, 1707, the city of Mühlhausen was hit by a devastating fire that destroyed a significant portion of the city. There was a commemorative service, a memorial service, you might call it, in July. And it is likely that Johann Sebastian Bach wrote this cantata, Aus der Tiefen rufe ich her zu dir, BWV 131, for that occasion. It is a poignant setting of Psalm 130. The De Profundis, out of the depths, I cry, O Lord, to thee. In this performance, which was recorded at the Columbia Masterworks 30th Street Studios of Sated Memory in New York City on December 20th, 1959. Lauren Driscoll is the tenor, Robert Oliver the bass, the oboist, the late great Leonard Arner. The cellist is not credited. The American Concert Choir prepared by the late great Margaret Hillis and the Columbia Symphony Orchestra were conducted by 
Igor Stravinsky's Amanuensis, the very fine musician and composer Robert Kraft.
Johann Sebastian Bach. The cantata Aus der Tiefen rufe ich her zu dir. Out of the depths I cry, O Lord, to thee. A setting of Psalm 130 that was composed when Bach was 22 years old for a commemorative a memorial service held in Mühlhausen a couple of months after a devastating fire had destroyed a significant part of the city. In that sense, it is particularly appropriate to include Austertiefen in this broadcast, which basically is a commemoration on Bach on Wednesday of the 20th anniversary of the assault on our nation on September 11th, 2001, that resulted in the loss, ultimately, of thousands of lives on the day and in the ensuing two decades. And this broadcast is dedicated to the memory of all of those innocent souls. In this performance, which was recorded in the Columbia Masterworks 30th Street Studios in New York City on December 20th, 1959, Lauren Driscoll was the tenor, Robert Oliver the bass, the oboist Leonard Arner, the American Concert Choir, prepared by Margaret Hillis, and the Columbia Symphony Orchestra, all were conducted by Robert Kraft. The very fine cellist, alas, is not credited. During Bach's tenure in Leipzig, the 27 years that he spent as Thomas Cantor and Director Musiches of the city of Leipzig, prompted the composition of several motets, one of which, Der Geist hilft unsere Schwachheit auf, is definitely known to have been composed for a funeral, a funeral of Bach's first boss in the Thomaskirche, Johann Heinrich Ernesti, and several others are believed to have been composed for funerals or memorials. One of these is Jesu Meine Freude, BWV 227, which is one of Bach's most amazing constructions. It is in 11 movements, the first movement being essentially identical to the last, and every other movement is a setting of the chorale tune, Jesu Meine Freude. Two and ten are essentially the same. Three and five, seven and nine, have similarities. Four and eight are three-part settings. The first five voices, the bass is not involved. The second, for low voices, 
no sopranos. The central movement, the sixth movement, the pivot movement, is a five-part double fugue. It is one of Bach's most amazing constructions. It also was the first of the Bach motets to be recorded. And also, by the way, in a chamber version, a very small chorus. I have to say before I talk about the recording, which I'm going to play for you, that my personal theory is that the motet was written as house music, that it was designed to be sung by five singers in a family living room, obviously a wealthy family, because someone had to pay for it, not only for the composition itself, but also for the performers. I have heard it done this way in a room that was equivalent to a large living room, the kind of large salon that you would have found in a wealthy household in the early 18th century, and it works beautifully. C. Kennedy Scott, Charles Kennedy Scott, with his Bach Cantata Club, recorded the motet in an English translation created by the great Bach biographer Charles Sanford Derry. The text is translated especially accurately, particularly the movements that are settings of texts from the Bible. The recording was made on March 3, 1927. The title of Charles Sanford Terry's translated version is Yezu, Joy and Treasure. And, if you will forgive me, I have to say, for me personally, this recording is a treasure.
The first recording of a motet by Johann Sebastian Bach, a recording made in London, England, on March 3rd, 1927. Jesu meine Freude, sung in an English translation by the great Bach scholar Charles Sanford Terry. The text begins, Jesu, Joy and Treasure. It is, in its special way, a marvelous performance, and it also is, in a peculiar way, a pioneering early music recording, because the ensemble, the Bach Cantata Club, conducted by Charles Kennedy Scott, is small. It is not a large choir. And Jesu meine Freude, Jesu joy and treasure, BWV 227, a multi-complex composition, 11 sections, as I explained, and in its special way, particularly appropriate for a program a broadcast being offered in memory of all of those who lost their lives because of the insidious, scurrilous, cowardly attack on the United States of America that took place 20 years ago tomorrow, on September 11th, 2001. Johann Sebastian Bach wrote one composition on commission that seems peculiarly appropriate for this special installment of Bach on Wednesday dedicated to all of those who have lost their lives because of the insidious, scurrilous, and cowardly attack on our nation that took place on September 11th, 2001. That work is the cantata that is familiarly referred to as the Trauer Ode, the Memorial Ode. The Trauer Ode combines elements of sincere memorial with elements of protest. And in that peculiar way, it seems particularly appropriate for a memorial tribute to those who died on or as a result of September 11th, 2001. There is, of course, a backstory, and it is a backstory that involves things political, things personal, and things religious. The Elector of Saxony, Friedrich August, in 1697, became the King of Poland. 
complicated story with which I won't bore you. However, in order to do so, Friedrich August had to convert from Lutheranism to Catholicism. His wife, the Margraven Christiana Eberhardina of Brandenburg, Kulmbach, whom he had married in 1693, absolutely said now, I am not becoming a Roman Catholic. She went into self-imposed exile in Pretch Castle on the Elbe, where she remained until she died on September 5th, 1727. Her husband, who was now also King August I of Poland, got the name August der Starke, August the Strong, because he had sort of a revolving door of mistresses, and he had 267 known illegitimate children. This did not go over well with people in Saxony. They didn't like the fact that he had converted, nor did they like the fact that he was such a womanizer. After her death, a wealthy student, a young nobleman at the University of Leipzig, Hans von Kirchbach, decided he was going to fund a memorial concert for Christiana Eberhardina. And that he did. He commissioned the well-known local poet Johann Christoph Gottsched to write the verses for the Trauerode, and then he got Bach to write the music. That is the background of the Trauerode. However, there are certain other delicious complications. We know from newspaper reports that Bach conducted the performance, which was given in the Talibanized Paulina Kirche in Leipzig. I say Talibanized because this historic building was demolished by the German Democratic Republic thugs. The Hochhouse on the side, what a ghastly building. It's gone, I understand. But I remember when I had to go to a luncheon on the top floor of that building being queasy in the elevator because I knew what had stood on the site. But, as usual, I meander. Back to the topic. We know from the newspaper report that Bach conducted the performance from the harpsichord. We also know that there was a prelude on the organ. I once had a conversation 
with the Bach scholar Christo Wolf, who is now 81 years old and who has been a cordial colleague over the years about the circumstances of that performance of the Trauer Ode. And he speculated that the composition that resulted from Bach's preluding, if you will, was the famous Prelude and Fugue in B minor. The Preludium und Fuge in Hamol, BWV 544. Christoph observed that it would have been useful to the musicians because the Trauer Ode opens in B minor, and therefore it would have allowed them quietly to tune their instruments while Bach was playing. A nice theory. Whether or not that happened, I don't know. But in any case, before we have the Trauer Ode, let us have the Preludium und Fuge in Hamol, the Prelude in Fugue in B minor, BWV 544. Edgar Krapp plays the historic 1738 organ in the Sankt Bavokirk in Harlem in the Netherlands, a marvelous instrument that was played by Handel and by Mozart, but not, alas, by Johann Sebastian Bach. What a marvelous sound this instrument produces.
Johann Sebastian Bach, The Preludium and Fugue in B Minor, BWV 544. The composition that Christoph Wolf, the great Bach scholar, once said to me may well have been the composition that Bach played to open the memorial service held in the Pauliner Kirche in Leipzig on October 17, 1727, in memory of Christiana Eberhardina, Electress of Saxony and Queen of Poland, although she left her husband and went into self-imposed exile when he converted to Roman Catholicism in order to become King of Poland. She was staunchly Lutheran. The Trauer Ode is in two parts, and Hans Karl von Kirchbach, who had commissioned it, gave a eulogy in between. So, we're going to have it in two parts. And here is part one. The soloists in part one are Emily Van Ever, soprano, Tessa Bonner, soprano, Carolyn Trevor, contralto, and Charles Daniels, tenor. These soloists and concertists are joined by the Taverner Consort and the Taverner Players, who play on authentic instruments. They are conducted by Andrew Parrott.
Part one of Johann Sebastian Bach's Trauer Ode, BWV 198, the morning ode that was written for a memorial service held in the Pauliner Kirche in Leipzig on October 17, 1727, in memory of Christiana Eberhardina, Electress of Saxony and the staunchly Protestant queen of a Catholic Poland. In that performance, you heard as soloists Emily Van Evera, soprano, Tessa Bonner, soprano, Carolyn Trevor, contralto, and Charles Daniels, tenor. The Taverner Consort and the Taverner Players which play on authentic instruments, were conducted by Andrew Parrott. Between parts one and two of the Trauer Oda at that service on October 17, 1727, Hans Karl von Kirchbach, the young nobleman and Leipzig University student who had organized the event, delivered a eulogy. Instead, here is the great Canadian harpsichordist Kenneth Gilbert playing a magnificent harpsichord built by Jan Couchet in 1671 and enlarged in France in the 18th century. The two ravalements 
were done by respected makers, to put it politely. Blanchet, and then again later on by the great Pascal Tasquin. This is the Prelude and Fugue in B minor, BWV 869, the concluding Preludium and Fugue from Das Voltempere the Clavier, what we call the first book of the Well-Tempered Clavier.
the great Canadian harpsichordist Kenneth Gilbert playing a Flemish harpsichord made by Jan Couchet in 1671 and enlarged in Paris, France in the 18th century, first by Blanchet and then again by Pascal Tasquin, a marvelous instrument and a miraculous survival. The composition, the Preludium and Fugue in B minor, number 24, from Das Wohltemperierte Klavier, what we call the Well-Tempered Clavier, Book 1. Part 2 of the Trauer Ode, which came after Hans Karl von Kirchbach gave his eulogy for Christiana Eberhardina, Electress of Saxony and staunchly Protestant Queen of a Catholic Poland, is significantly shorter than Part One, in part probably to balance the uh, eulogy. In this performance of Part Two, the soloists are... Charles Daniels, tenor, and Christian Hiltz, bass. The Taverner Consort and the Taverner Players, performing on authentic instruments, are conducted by Andrew Parrott. Part 2 of the Trauer Ode, BWV 198, by Johann Sebastian Bach.
Thank <laughs> you. 
Part 2 of The Trauer Order, BWV 198, by Johann Sebastian Bach. First performed in Leipzig on October 17, 1727, at a service held in memory of Christiana Eberhardine, Electress of Saxony, and a firmly Protestant Queen of Roman Catholic Poland. The Trauer Ode seems particularly appropriate for inclusion in this broadcast prepared as a memorial to all of those innocent souls and courageous souls who have given their lives as a result of this scurrilous, insidious attack on the United States that occurred on September 11th, 2001, 20 years ago, this past Saturday. The Trauer Oda also has an element of the protest as well as an element of the memorial. And for that reason, it is particularly appropriate because the terrorists will not be allowed to win. In that performance of Part Two of the Trauer Ode, the soloists were tenor Charles Daniels and bass Christian Hiltz. The taverner consort and the taverner players performing on authentic instruments were conducted by Andrew Parrott. <laughs> 